If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, we'll be looking this morning at just the first three verses of, of Jonah chapter 3. Uh, it's just a brief reading, so I won't, I won't ask you to stand up again uh, for this. Um, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Oh. Pay careful attention, this is God's Word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Would you pray with me as we seek the Lord's help? Oh Lord, we pray that you might give us understanding. Uh, you have spoken clearly, and yet very often our hearts and our minds are murky and muddy, and we have difficulty understanding, uh, not simply with our, our minds, but with our hearts. So we pray that your Holy Spirit, uh, who inspired these words, would illumine our hearts, grant us understanding what these words mean, uh, but also what they mean for our lives how they should impact us. And so we pray, Father, that you would lead us uh, in all things by your Spirit. And Father, we pray even as we consider Jonah and, and his ministry and this second chance, that even in this, Lord, would you help us to see Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. How do people change? How do, we, how do we change direction in our lives so that while we might be heading in the wrong direction one way, how, how, do, we, how do we turn and head in the right way? What, what has to happen for us to turn around? Scripture is, is full of examples of people whose lives have been changed in that way, radically, powerfully, miraculously. We've just talked about Paul with the young children, Saul, who... Uh, became known as, as Paul after that. We heard about his radical change from going against Jesus and his people to then being uh, one of the most uh, faithful evangelists for Jesus. Uh, how did that turn happen? How did that change happen? Or even Peter, who, when given a chance to acknowledge Jesus as his own, denied him three times before Christ went to the cross, but then later uh, became a bold leader among the church uh, in Jerusalem and even abroad from there? How did that change happen? Or even as we read through the scriptures, we see this change described among the early churches. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, describes their, their change. It says, you used to worship vain idols, but now you have turned, and now you have hope because you have turned away from those vain idols to the living God. What about you? Uh, we all experience maybe kind of a double-edged sword here. Sometimes we're frustrated because we want to change. We have hope. We have desire for change. And sometimes it feels like there's little progress, uh, maybe in circumstances or even just in our own hearts and how we deal with our sin. But then we also see the fruit of real change as we grow in faith in the Lord Jesus. We're frustrated, but we also can see fruit Wherever you find yourself today, 
from this part of Jonah's story, we can find hope and encouragement. Because in Jonah, we have a wonderful illustration of how God relentlessly pursues his people with grace and with mercy, and sometimes that mercy is severe. But God graciously pursued Jonah and began to bring change in his life. And so what I want to look at this morning is just very briefly what Jonah's change was, what, what happened to him, and then what we learn in two ways from Jonah's change. First, what, what do we learn about God's character from Jonah's response in this, these verses? And then secondly, what do we learn about God's work in bringing repentance, which is how we change, and bringing repentance into our lives? So let's talk first about how Jonah changed, what, what happened to him, what did he do? You probably noticed as we read uh, these verses, if, if you've been here at all through the series of Jonah or if you know the story, that this feels like a repeat, right? This feels like take two, and it is. Uh, in Jonah chapter 1, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and, and said these same things, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. But we know in that first instance that Jonah did not go to Nineveh. He did not rise up and follow the word of the Lord, rather he rose and fled to Tarshish, the farthest west he could go away from Nineveh, and really away, he was seeking to go away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah has run from God in disobedience and idolatry, thinking that he knew better who deserved God's mercy and, and how God's mercy should be meted out to people. And in Jonah's mind, it did not belong to the Ninevites. And so he ran in the opposite direction. But when we come to chapter 3, we see this reversal. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This never happens. <laughs> this, uh, well, I shouldn't say it never happens. This is the only time this happened to a prophet in the Old Testament. Actually, it happens a lot that the Lord comes a second time and a third time and a fourth time. We'll get there. But in the Old Testament, Jonah is the only prophet where God gives him a mission. He says, no, no thank you. And he goes in the opposite direction. And God comes again and gives him a second chance. And really, Jonah's ministry among the Ninevites, uh, Jeff will get to this in the next couple weeks, uh, no other prophet had a response to his ministry in the way that Jonah did. And you read through all the other prophets, and it's like nobody, they're shutting their ears, they're closing their eyes, they don't want to hear it, they're not responding. But the Ninevites, these wicked pagans, actually respond to Jonah's ministry, as we'll see next week. Jonah turned from disobedience to obedience. The word of the Lord came a second time, and it seems that Jonah had learned the lesson. He had to learn the misery of running from the presence of God so that he might enjoy the grace and mercy of God so that he could take that same message to the Ninevites. Jonah moves from disobedience to obedience. And in this we see in Jonah an example of what we call repentance. I would submit that it's partial repentance. As we'll get to the end of the story, you'll see that. But it's a form of repentance. Jonah, rather than running from the Lord, now obeys the Lord. Our uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism describes repentance, defines repentance in this way. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's a gift of God, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, here's the key, 
turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. What does that mean? It means that part of what we're seeing in Jonah and part of what the Lord calls for in us is for us to see our sin for what it is, to turn from it, to grab hold of God's mercy in Christ, and as a result of that, to then aim to walk in obedience. And here we see Jonah doing that. The word comes a second time. Jonah turns and he obeys. He goes to Nineveh with the message that the Lord entrusted to him. That's the basics of Jonah's story at this point. What, what we want to ask and where we want to kind of spend most of our time this morning is to ask, what do we learn about God's character from this episode in Jonah's life? And then what do we learn about how God works in our lives to bring repentance? So what do we learn about God's character in this episode of Jonah's life? At the very least, we learn that God is gracious in his commitment to his people. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's a word of grace. Jonah didn't deserve a second chance. He didn't deserve the, word, the Lord to show up again and say, okay, I'm going to give you this mission. I'm going to renew my call to you as a prophet to go and to announce this message. The Lord did not have to do that, but he came a second time in gracious commitment to his people. God is gracious in his commitment to his people. Consider all that God has done in displaying his gracious commitment to Jonah, just for starters. Jonah flees, God pursues him in the storm and through pagan sailors on the boat. Jonah's thrown into the depths, which is kind of an image and an expectation of death, but the Lord delivers him through a great fish. Jonah's in the belly of the great fish, but it's there that he sees that the Lord is with him in steadfast love. Salvation is from the Lord. And at last here, the Lord brings him back to dry land and renews Jonah's call a second time. God is gracious in his commitment to his people. And because of that gracious commitment, even when we recognize our sin, we can run back to him with the expectation that he will be merciful to us. I often tell couples in premarital counseling that every conflict that they will experience in marriage should be dealt with in the light of their marriage vows. We make commitments uh, in marriage, right? That I, we will stick together through thick and thin. Come, come what may, good health, bad health, uh, riches, poverty. Uh, through all the good times and all the bad times, we'll stick together. That's, that's that, those vows that we make in marriage. It creates an atmosphere, ideally, of commitment, of, of trust, of security, that we can be totally vulnerable with one another and totally safe at the same time which is a wonderful picture of the Lord's gracious commitment to his people, uh, which is why marriage is for us a picture of the love of Christ for his church. When the Bible talks about God's commitment to his people, it speaks about it in terms of a covenant, that God makes promises to us not based on our ability to fulfill our end of the bargain but rather he makes gracious promises to be our God and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to give us righteousness and to give us forgiveness of sins so that even when we fail, God does not go back on his promise. He does not remove his salvation from us, but it rather invites us to repentance. 
God is committed, and we see that in Jonah, that the Lord came to him a second time. Even uh, as we see God's gracious character uh, in his commitment to his people, his covenant love for his people, what else do we learn? We learn about how God graciously works to bring repentance into our hearts. So we've seen what Jonah's done. He turned from disobedience to obedience. We see that this is an expression of God's gracious commitment to Jonah, that he comes a second time, gives Jonah a second chance, another opportunity to obey. We might ask a little bit deeper, though, what do we see God doing in order to bring repentance in Jonah's heart and in our hearts? I'd like to give you two Two things that God does, or two ways that God works, and then the result of that work, of how he brings repentance into our lives. Uh, the first, God works repentance in our hearts through affliction. He brings repentance into our hearts through affliction. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Doesn't that just warm your heart that God brings affliction into our lives in order to work repentance into our hearts? But think about what happens to us when we are carrying the weight of affliction when we are suffering in some way, whether it's relationally or physically or whatever the case may be, what does God do in the midst of our affliction? He uses the tool of affliction to expose our hearts and to draw us to himself with grace and love. Nothing will strip you of the illusion of your own strength like suffering. Nothing will show you your weakness and your need for God's grace like affliction. You, you feel your need for the strength of another. Now, most of us would uh, admittedly like to avoid affliction. Um, we would like to remain intact. We would like to keep our equilibrium, be able to keep walking in a straight direction. We would like to remain strong. And yet, it's the tool of affliction where God calls us to places where we will be weak, where we will be vulnerable, where we will see that we cannot do for ourselves what is needed. It's in the midst of affliction that God exposes even the idolatry of self-trust, self-strength. But he does it in love. Uh, Think of the prophet Hosea, who's around the same time as Jonah, maybe a little bit later. Describes the way that the Lord works in, the, in this way. He says, the Lord wounds in order that he might heal. He, he tears apart in order that he might bind up. God brings affliction into our lives to bring humility and to help us to see that we need him and that he is sufficient. Paul, I think, experienced this on an ongoing basis. He describes it in his letter to the Corinthians where he says that he endured this thing that he calls the thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what it was, if it was some sort of physical affliction with his eyesight, or, or we don't know. People speculate about what this might be. While we don't know what this was, we know what God's purpose in this affliction was. Paul says that the purpose of that affliction was to keep him humble. And, and that when he pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn in his flesh, this source of affliction that plagued him, he pleaded three times and Jesus said to him three times, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. 
Paul would not have learned his weakness in that way had it not been for affliction. Perhaps Jonah would not have learned obedience had it not been for the storm or for the fish that rescued him from a watery death. The Lord uses affliction in order to bring us to himself. Suffering is often like uh, when people kind of dredge up from the bottom of a, a body of water. Things hidden beneath the surface rise above and become visible so that we can bring them to the Lord in repentance and in faith. Jesus. Jesus suffered affliction. Jesus endured suffering as our Savior. It was right at the heart of what he came to do as our Redeemer. Uh, He was the one who bore in his flesh our suffering for sin. In all your afflictions, Isaiah says, he is afflicted. Jesus' afflictions exposed him before the Lord. But thankfully, because Jesus is our great Savior, when Jesus is exposed through his own suffering, what's found there is not... Not the weakness of sin, but righteousness and love for his people and a willingness to go all the way to death on the cross in order that he might redeem us and suffer in our place. As we experience suffering, affliction in various ways, uh, we're to see that in the midst of this, the Lord is working uh, to draw us to himself, to expose our sin and to remind us that we have a God who is graciously committed to us and is able and willing to forgive us all our sins. He confronts us in the midst of our affliction. Not only does he use affliction, but he uses repetition. He uses repetition. We see this in the fact that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. It's a repeat. It's a mulligan. It's a do-over. Jonah receives the word a second time, and this time he obeys. God meets Jonah in a repeat event, and he's giving him an opportunity this time not to run, but instead to repent and to turn and to walk in obedience, even as he does this time. Uh, Ian Duguid, who's an Old Testament professor and has a little study book on Jonah, he reminds us, I think this is right, that we we would generally like the Lord to just change us all at once. Whatever it is that we struggle with, uh, whatever sins that weigh us down, things that we repeat, keep doing, keep struggling with, we would love, I would love for the Lord to just change me all at once. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to wake up one day and have no sin? That would be wonderful. But that's not how the Lord uh, generally chooses to be at work in our lives. Instead, he often places us in situations where we feel especially weak where we, all, where, where we find ourselves often tempted to sin, tempted to trust ourselves, and tempted to act out of unbelief. And sometimes he places us in those situations again and again. I remember as a little kid, maybe some of you younger kids will appreciate this, I enjoyed jumping on the bed. There's just something about the bed that attracted my leaping on top of it, even though uh, my mom told me not to. Uh, And there was one particular instance where we were visiting my grandparents in Orlando, and they had this little room kind of off the back of their den that had these two single antique beds, like those little four-poster deals back there. And there was just something about these beds that attracted me that I wanted to jump on these beds every time I saw them. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the, the struggle was real. 
and now it would be easy for me to say the problem is the bed. If, if the bed were not there, I wouldn't have this, this problem of wanting to jump on the beds. But really, the problem was in me. I, every time I was near the beds, I wanted to jump on them until eventually I broke the beds because I was jumping on them too much. Sometimes the Lord puts us in situations where we are particularly tempted, where we find ourselves particularly weak in that temptation in order to confront us with our sin and to give us an opportunity to not walk in disobedience, but to walk in obedience. I think probably the best example of this we find in the scriptures is with the apostle Peter. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, who was told he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed three times. He said, you'll deny me. And Peter said, no way, not going to happen. Not me. Everybody else may run, but I will remain true to you. Peter was so confident in himself and he needed humility. And God brought it through Peter's own denial of Jesus these three times before he heard the rooster crow. But you know that's not the end of the story, right? At the end of John's gospel, we have this beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus renewing and restoring Peter and calling him again uh, to love Jesus as he served the church. And so we have this scene, this beach scene. It's a walk on the beach with Peter and Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he got even frustrated at the third uh, time Jesus asked the question. But what was Jesus doing there? He was repeating. He was meeting Peter in this same incident where Peter denied Jesus three times earlier, and now he had an opportunity to repeat the opportunity and now to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, rather than denying Jesus three times. Perhaps the Lord brings into your life people who are difficult to love. Perhaps the Lord places you in situations where you feel like it's the same thing over and over again. It's like you know the record is skipping and you're facing the same situation that is difficult and you have trouble believing and trusting God's promises in the midst of it. It just feels like a repeat. What is God doing in the midst of this repetition? He's calling us to a deeper repentance, to acknowledge our weakness and to depend upon him for grace and to find that he is all sufficient for us. In fact, we see this not only in our own lives, but we see this in the very work of the Lord Jesus. You might say that Jesus' entire ministry is a repeat. It's, it's a do-over of all that Adam failed to do, even of all that Israel failed to do. Just think for a moment of the episodes in Jesus' life that are repeats. He is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, just like Adam and Eve. And yet where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded and obeyed where Adam disobeyed. And went against the word that God had given. Jesus obeyed perfectly. He resisted temptation. Tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. It's a repeat of Israel. Wandering in the wilderness. Being tempted. Grumbling all the time about the Lord. And how he wasn't doing this or that. Jesus in the wilderness is tempted. And yet unlike Adam and unlike Israel. Jesus is faithful 
He obeys. It's a repeat, even in the Garden of Gethsemane before his own death. Jesus faced with the worst thing to come, separation from his Father at the cross. And Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. It's a repeat. He's undoing Adam's sin and our sin, and he is bearing it in himself as our substitute at the cross to, to carry it away from us so that we might be forgiven. What about you? Do you find yourself in situations where it seems like you've been there before? It seems like this is a repeat, and you wonder, what is the Lord doing? Jonah faced that repeat. The word of the Lord came a second time, and he turned and he walked in obedience as best as he was able to at that point. If you find yourself facing those situations, it's one of the ways that the Lord works to bring repentance into our hearts, to help us trust him and to turn from our sin and to endeavor to walk after new obedience. He works through affliction. He works through repetition, and he does it all for the goal of restoration. Jesus is always at work, working gospel change in our hearts so that as his people, we are able to enjoy more and more fellowship and communion with God as we walk by faith and repentance. If you're, if you're a believer here this morning, you've professed your faith in Jesus and are aiming to follow him with your life, God is at work in these patterns Every moment of suffering, every hardship that we face is God calling us to trust in him and not in ourselves and to find him faithful as he is, to be reminded of his gracious commitment that once he has you, he will not let you go. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So let affliction do its work, bringing repentance and bringing a deeper faith in God for his grace. You find yourself in those repeat situations. The Lord is giving you an opportunity to trust him, to walk by faith. Where you couldn't see a way out earlier, God is giving you an opportunity to trust his promises and to walk in obedience. And that's the way he changes us. That's the way he works change in our hearts. If you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't professed faith in the Lord Jesus and submitted your life to him, he's at work in you doing the same thing. But he's calling you to see his hand in those moments, to see that affliction is meant to draw you with cords of love into his grace. To see that the struggles that keep repeating over and over again are his signpost to you that you need one who is stronger than you to redeem you, to rescue you, to give you forgiveness and grace. So may we, uh, like Jonah, hear the message of God through our affliction that we are in need of repentance and forgiveness. And may we, like Jonah, hear the message of God through these repeat situations that we are in need of repentance and forgiveness. And may we find in Jesus the one who did all things well for us so that we might be welcomed to the Father who is graciously committed to his people. He never lets you go. Would you pray with me?